Welcome to the Journeys of Scientists podcast. This is a podcast put out by WAMPS, which stands for Women and Minorities in the Physical Sciences. We are a graduate student organization at Michigan State University. I am Brian Stanley. I am a graduate student in the physics department at MSU. The purpose of this podcast is to talk with other graduate students at MSU and other universities to get a sense of the type of research they do, but also learn about life as a graduate student, both within and outside the classroom or research lab. If you or someone else you know are interested in participating in the Journeys of Scientists podcast, you can email me at the email below in the show notes, or you can visit the WAMPS website, which is www.wamps.org, and you can send us a message there. On this episode, we are joined by Anna Haber, a PhD student in the Department of Horticulture at MSU. It's a really fun conversation where we talk about plants and stained glass and all sorts of other cool stuff. Hope you enjoy. Well, welcome, Anna. Could you briefly introduce yourself? What do you study? What department are you in? Yeah, so I'm Anna. Hi, I just finished up my second year in the Department of Horticulture at Michigan State um, as a PhD student, and I study basically all sorts of different aspects of plant responses to abiotic or non-biological stresses, Um, so like drought, salt, cold, um, that sort of thing. Okay, so how is horticulture different from, say, like plant biology or something like that? (laughs) Well, it's in a different building. Um, So, yeah, so the horticulture department has a lot more applied people, um, sort of applied research where there are a lot of people who work on breeding different crops or like weed science, um, stuff like that, um, pesticide, herbicide trials and or horticultural production whereas plant biology tends to be a lot more basic research like how does this gene work and what is this protein doing um type of deal um obviously there's a much broader focus in both departments like i for instance do mostly basic research um and i just happen to be in horticulture because my advisor is um So, you know, really, I say I'm getting a PhD in Bob Van Duren's lab, and that happens to be in horticulture. Okay. So, like, what kind of work do you actually do or look at? So, yeah. So, I do a lot of computational genomic stuff um, where actually one of my thesis chapters is 100% computational using publicly available data, um, and the other two are, like, getting... Um, RNA-seq, um, RNA sequencing, transcriptome data from plants, um, and other types of sequencing to sort of learn about the genetic mechanisms of stress response. Okay. So what, so like for a plant, what does a stress response like entail? Cause like, uh, you know, I think of <laughs> like, if I'm stressed, okay. Like a bear's chasing after me or something, but like what, what causes a plant stress? Yeah, so plant stress can be caused by any number of things. Uh, Lack of water is a big one. 
Um, and drought is what sort of got me into and interested in this field um, to begin with. So I still have a couple things on drought. Um, so if you take water away, um, many things happen. A, the plant needs water for photosynthesis. So then it can't photosynthesize as well. And it's not making as much sugar to like feed itself if we're going to anthropomorphize the plant. Um, and also um, you will have other things happen like as water is leaving the cells, then um, I'm trying to think how to put this here. Gosh, um, you'll get like proteins will unfold and cell walls will destabilize and stuff like that. And you'll also get some reactive oxygen species running around, um, either acting as signaling components, which can be a good thing, or actively destabilizing DNA and proteins and lipids, which is a bad thing. Um, so a lot of the stress response at the molecular level goes to um, reactive oxygen species scavenging. Some of it goes to just stabilizing various cellular components, and some of it goes to signaling, telling the plant to close its stomata, which are like little pores on the leaves. Um, and say, no, close them. We don't want them to be open anymore because we don't want to lose any more water. Um, but at the same time, that also reduces photosynthesis because your CO2 is also coming in through those stomata. Um, so that was kind of a lot, but that's sort of an overview of some of the things that stress response entails. It really sets the whole system on high alert. Okay. So where are you studying droughts because when i moved to michigan it seems like it rains almost every day all the time <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i don't do field work um i study drought in the growth chamber um, mostly so a lot of the plant biology building and the plant soil science building and molecular plant science building on campus um, which are all sort of connected in this complex. Um, in the basement, there's a whole bunch of these controlled environment chambers where people can grow plants. Um, and so this is how I grow like tropical and subtropical grasses in Michigan year round, um, you know, at 28 degrees Celsius, which is like 80 something Fahrenheit during the day. So it's always summer in the growth chamber. Oh, okay. So you just like in the basement of your building, you have like a grow lab or <laughs> yeah, or a little a little rainforest in your in your basement. <laughs> yeah, oh. essentially. And so then I can um, drought different pots, and they just don't water them, and water other pots as controls. Okay. Um, if you ever need you know someone to not water their plants, you know I can I got you there. <laughs> cool. You'd be a good drought scientist. <laughs> so what what got you interested in, in this field? Yeah, so this goes back a long time. Um, my dad was always kind of into plants um, for ornamentals and also vegetables. It was like growing things. And I remember going to an orchid show with him one year and being really impressed by all the pretty flowers um, so that sort of first got me started, and then I was interested in plants for their ornamental value and propagating them. I always found that kind of fun. And sort of parallel, I started um, doing biology 
in high school. I say high school, I was homeschooled. Um, but I started doing this, you know, biology class, which was essentially a book that I would sit down and read. Um, and I read about genetics and I read about like how DNA works. And I thought, wow, this stuff is really cool. Um, and then when I was a senior in high school, my last semester, actually, I took an online biology class through one of the community colleges where I'm from. And, um, they had an assignment where you had to write a paper on some aspect of DNA technology. So I said, okay, I'll write about, you know, GMOs. I don't know much about them. And then I was reading a paper um, to like write about in my report. And they mentioned in passing that somebody had taken a gene from one plant and put it into corn and that made the corn more drought tolerant. And I thought, wow, they can do that. I want to do that. Oh, that's really cool. Where did you do your undergrad? I did my undergrad at the University of New Hampshire. Okay. Um, Are you from New Hampshire? Is, yes, that is where I'm from. And I actually commuted throughout undergrad to save money, which was oh, okay. massively helpful. Yeah. Is it a very big school? I mean, New Hampshire itself isn't that big. Yeah. So it's the biggest school in the state. It has about 15,000 students. Um, and, you know, I used to think that was big. And then I came here. Um, so, yeah. yeah. So how was like transitioning into college, you know, being homeschooled if, you know, you're a school of one or whatever to. Yeah. Yeah. So I, um, I actually had been to, um, some sort of dual credit high school and college classes at like a homeschool co-op that I went to, which is like basically a group of homeschool families that come together and some of the parents may teach different classes. And so I took like drama through there, um, which was not a college class and then various college social science classes. Um, so I had some like socialization that's like one of the worst stereotypes is that people think all oh, homeschool kids have no socialization um but i was used to those college classes college level classes being like five to ten people um and then i went my first class ever in college was chemistry and i went and i was standing there waiting for the room to open so that i could go in for the lecture and people just started coming and like standing in the near vicinity. And it was like, all oh, these people can't be here for this class. And then I went in and they kept coming in and coming in and coming in. And I was like, okay, um, that is a lot of people. So, you know, that was a bit of, of, of a, a little shock. Um, but I think I adapted pretty quickly um, considering. And I certainly loved like the undergrad research environment there. It was a great place for me. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I remember, I think, I think intro chem was like my largest class too. I think there was like 300 people or something in my class. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. So you did research too as an undergrad. Um, what was that? Yes. Yeah. So I worked in two different labs. Um, my freshman year, I started in a lab working on some of the genetics of seaweed um, and so I actually got to go and collect the seaweed. New Hampshire does have a coastline. It is very tiny, but we do have one. I was just uh, pulling up maps to see, like, does New Hampshire border the ocean? <laughs> yes, it does for 16 miles. Um, and, you know, it's very small, but very nice. And we're very proud of it. 
Um, so we collected some seaweed and like tried to grow it at higher temperatures than it's used to. Uh, spoiler alert, that did not work out very well. Um, but I got to start learning a little bit about what it was like to actually do science in the lab, which was good for me. And then I switched to another lab to sort of do more of what I wanted to do, which was at that time was the genetic engineering stuff. And so I started working on drought and salt tolerance in rice, um, which no one in my lab had ever worked on before. Um, so I was first, I was trailblazing and it took longer than I expected. You know, initially I was like, I'm going to clone all these genes and I'm going to make all these transgenic plants and test them. And this will all be in one summer. Um, and so I was a little overly optimistic and I never got to cloning the genes and making the transgenic plants. But I learned a lot about how to do a drought experiment because I kept doing them over and over again um, for two and a half years. So that was sort of where I landed for the rest of my undergrad career. That sounds like a, a lot like research of being overly yeah. optimistic of how long something should take. <laughs> yes, definitely. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that was that was a good experience for me. And I think it was really good preparation for grad school. Mm. What was your actual major in? My major was genetics. Okay. So. Okay. Yeah. Did you do the classic, you know, mutating peas or anything like that? <laughs> well, we did some mutating E. coli in one of my classes, which is like pretty easy because you just put the plate on the UV light source and, you know, let it sit there for 10 seconds and something mutated. Um, and we did the fly crosses and all that fun stuff. Okay. Very cool. Were you like involved with any, any like clubs or organizations or anything like that? Like while you're in undergrad? Um, not really. I wasn't really because I commuted and a lot of the clubs met, you know, what for me was late at night, I would just like go, go to class, go to the lab, work, go home, study, go to sleep. Um, that was kind of my routine. Um, so yeah, no, the undergrad research was really my thing. Um, and I guess McNair was sort of like a club. I was in the McNair Scholars Program, which is a federally funded program actually that tries to build a pipeline of getting low-income first-generation and underrepresented minority students into undergraduate research so that they can then go on and eventually the goal is to diversify um, the professoriate. Um, so, yeah, so that was nice. I found a nice community there. Okay. How far was the, the commute to, to school from home? About 25 or 35 minutes each way. Okay. Yeah. okay that's not too bad that's more or less what i did for undergrad too i lived on campus like that first year but then the rest of the time i just commuted back and forth how, how did you did you like that um you know going back and forth did you feel restricted or do you're like oh no it's fine i get to be home i don't have to worry about you know paying rent or anything like that <laughs> yeah it was definitely nice there were definitely some days when i was like 
um, I have to be here so late, you know, to like five or 6 p.m. Where is my dorm room? And then I thought, oh, yeah, it costs $10,000 a year. That's why I'm not doing it. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, because I was pretty I was paying for my own undergrad and I was pretty um, limited on what I could afford. So, yeah, okay. so it was it was good. And I'm definitely glad I did it. And I also don't think I was necessarily ready to leave home just yet. Um, but by the time I got to going away to grad school, I think I was more ready. So I had more of that transition time, which was nice. Did you know that you wanted to go to grad school or did you like consider other options? Yeah, I pretty much knew from freshman year that I was interested in research and I wanted to go get a PhD. Um, I didn't necessarily know what I wanted to do after that, but I knew I was interested in grad school. Um, After hearing about it as an option, like when I started undergrad. Okay, so then what brought you to, to MSU? So I applied to a bunch of different land grants across sort of the Northeast and Midwest. Um, And I got into a lot of them, actually, their PhD programs. But when I came here, MSU was the third interview I think I did. And I interviewed with the professor who is now my advisor. Um, And I was asking him, like, what his expectations of his students were And the first thing he said was, well, I think work-life balance is really important. And I thought, that's it. You're the mentor I need. I'm coming here to work with you. Um, Also, MSU is just really like one of the top schools um, for plant science. I think there are four or five different plant science programs um, and over 160 faculty working in the plant sciences. So it was a big step up from UNH, which was a good place for me to start, but they took away all the plant biology degree programs because there were so few people interested in them. Um, and some of those people sort of got shuffled into like sustainable agriculture or general like biology, but UNH is investing other places, Um, And MSU is very heavily invested in their plant science. There are a lot of resources here, which has been great. Okay, very cool. Plant Science's building is the one next to like the gardens, right? Yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's directly across the street from where our office is. Okay, cool. cool. Okay. So how was transitioning to, to MSU of now you're living in a different part of the country. And then also, as we mentioned, MSU is like four times the size of <laughs> your, your, your school that you were at. Yeah. So I did live on campus my first year, actually in an apartment with a roommate. Um, and that sort of helped. I, I honestly didn't leave campus a lot of the time, except to go grocery shopping. I walk to work and walk home and, um, yeah, and it was, it was, it's nice. Um, it's been nice. There's like a good grad student organization in the department. And, um, my first year was before the pandemic hit. Most of my first year was before the pandemic hit. Um, so it was nice to be able to like go to social events with them. And I had a very welcoming and friendly, um, lab environment. So, that was really nice to transition into and some classes with 
um, especially my plant genomics class, my first semester really with a world-class professor um, and just, yeah, getting to learn lots of cool stuff and made friends in my classes. And so it was a pretty good transition. I think it was smoother than I thought it would be, um, which was good. That's good. Like about how big is like either your lab or just like even the the cohort of grad students that you're in? So, yeah, my lab is, I think now we're, there are three grad students and two postdocs um, in the lab now and like several undergrads who are helping with some of the field work that another of the grad students does. Um, and cohort of grad students is sort of like a loose term because I'm better friends with some of the people who entered in the same year as me in like plant biology than in horticulture. Um, but I think I entered in horticulture with eight other students that year. Okay. Um, okay. Although one of them was had previously done her master's at MSU and was just going on for her PhD. So, okay. And then you did you say you were part of like a graduate like student organization? Yes. So if you're a grad student in horticulture, you automatically get enrolled into the grad student organization HOGS, which stands for Horticultural Organization of Graduate Students. I know it's a great acronym. Love it. Um, yeah. Some of the ones in like uh, crop and soil sciences and plant pathology are even better. Um, so like acres and spores. Um, so, so yeah, so hogs is nice. And this year I'm actually the hogs representative to the horticulture graduate programs committee, um, which has been a good learning experience of like what professors do when they're not like writing grants and mentoring students. Um, they serve on committees and do stuff like this. So that's okay. been a good experience and good to see okay and what kind of stuff in general does hogs do they do like social events um and like pumpkin carving or friendsgiving um which is like nice to see people and occasionally there are also like professional development events um like we talked with one of the i think she's actually a biochemistry professor who works on plants um, Professor Baronda Montgomery, um, who is well known for her work on diversity and mentoring, as well as her work on plant science. Um, we had a conversation with her via Zoom earlier this year. Um, and so that was that was really nice to do. Oh, super cool. So then, okay, so you do you say you just finished up your like last year of classes or are you just wrapping up the program altogether? Yeah, so I finished up my second year, which is my last year of classes, um, and I'm starting my third year already, which is kind of wild. Ah, same season. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. So, how was like adapting to classes and and stuff? It's like, were you putting more work into classes versus research, or trying to keep it relatively even? Yeah, Did you have so to TA I either. I haven't had to TA yet. Um, actually, horticulture, because the department doesn't have any funds to provide TA ships, they don't actually require you to TA. 
Um, but it, you know, it's recommended. So I'm looking to get in some teaching experience at some point and might actually be helping in some capacity with a class this fall, at least giving a guest lecture on stuff related to my research, um, which I'm looking forward to. Um, and sorry, what was the rest of that question? Uh, I forgot already. Oh, like, oh, how is adjusting to, to like classes? Were you mostly doing classes or doing research at the same time? Uh, yes. yes, yes. So um, I like research a lot better than classes. Um, so I always try to be doing at least some research, but um, inevitably at some point during the semester, classes would take over, especially if it was sort of an intense class with a lot of homework, which some of them were. Um, but I have typically been able to at least do some experiments or some analyses each semester. Um, and it's really nice to be in the summer now when there are no classes and there's a lot more time to do research. And I'm looking forward to that for the rest of my program. Yeah. So now that you're doing primarily just research, are you just working like nine to five, you know, sort of sort of things or like what does your kind of work schedule sort of look like? Yeah, I try to work just nine to five. Um, sorry if you can hear the air conditioner kicking on in here. Um, but yeah, so I try to enforce a good work-life balance. Um, I was not good at that in undergrad and I burned out like two and a half years through after working on school and research like seven days a week, all week, every week um, for two and a half years. It was just too much. So after that, I have tried to back off a little bit and I managed to take most weekends off now, unless I'm like doing an experiment, have to go in and measure the plants um, because plants have no concept of weekends. Unfortunately, that is one thing we have not been able to get them to recognize. Um, that's probably why they're stressed all the time. Probably. <laughs> okay. So then what do you, do you have like hobbies or interests outside of like school and work? Like what do you do when you're not inside the lab? Yeah. So I'm a fairly creative person. Um, I like to read. Sometimes I have written things. Um, and lately I like to do stained glass art a lot, um, which is a lot of fun, especially now that I can do it in my basement and don't have to go home to New Hampshire and use my dad's stuff. And that's the only time I can do it. <laughs> so what does, so like I've heard of stained glass, but like what actually is that? Yeah, so it's, um, and I can send you like some pictures if you want to post them with the oh, um, yeah. podcast episode when sure. it comes up. Um, but so it's basically, you have like, pieces of glass that have a certain color and texture and translucency and um, you pick them out and you're basically trying to make like a picture with them. It's sort of like a paint by number um, okay. where certain pieces are like a certain color and then you cut them and fit them together. So it's like a paint by number. That's also like a puzzle. Okay. But are you like actually like the one that, more or less like paints or adds color to the glass or is it more like, Oh, here's these pieces are already here and then try and make. No, no, you can, you can go to the store. Um, there's actually a store in Lansing, which is nice and go pick out pieces of glass that are like, Oh, here's a, 
a green water glass um, or something, which is like a transparent glass with like this ripply texture. Um, and it can say, oh, that would be perfect for the leaves for this flower that I want to do, um, this flower pattern that I want to do in glass and um, buy it, take it home and then just like cut it to shape and okay. solder you, it together. How do you cut it? Um, so you have this um, sort of cutter with like, a, it, I think it has like diamond in the head and then you run it along and it makes a little score and then you break it. So essentially it's oh, not okay. like, like what I used to picture before I started doing it was like this big pair of scissors. Um, mm -hmm. But that is not how it works. You just have to score it and then break. And so you're sort of a little bit at the mercy of physics with how you like score it. And um, depending on the texture of the glass, uh, some of them are harder to cut or easier to cut. Um, some people also use saws which allow for a lot more flexibility, but I really like the hand cutting. Also okay. saws are expensive. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's similar to like when cutting like plexiglass or whatever. Okay. Makes sense. Yeah. Very interesting. So like how big or small are these things that you're making? Uh, they can be as big or small as the pattern is. Um, things I make so far have not exceeded like 14 by 19 inches. Um, that's which is good size though yeah it's a pretty decent size but there are people who do like um like i follow a variety of stained glass artists on social media and some of them are like doing commissioned stained glass windows for churches um and some of them are like making little sun catchers you know that are like six inches wide or four inches wide um and selling them on etsy to people so there's really a wide variety in the medium Okay. How did you get interested in this? Well, my dad has been doing it for longer than I've been alive. And so I always kind of wanted to do it um, since for as long as I can remember, really. But he looked at me when I was younger than like 13 and looked at the glass shards and the molten lead solder that are like involved in these things and said, no, nah, you better wait till you're a little older. Um, so, so I started when I was a young teenager and um, did it off and on when I was in like high school and um, now I've picked it up a lot more and it's a lot of fun. It's frustrating sometimes, but it's a lot of fun. Super cool. Super cool. Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. If you have pictures up there, I'll, I'll definitely post them. Okay. So do you have kind of wrapping things up a little bit? Like, do you have any advice or, or tips of wisdoms for people thinking about going into grad school or adjusting to the grad school student life? Yeah, that's a good question. I would say definitely um, prioritize your mental health. Um, and one aspect of that is like selecting the right advisor for you who will also respect your mental health. So um, I really like my advisor a lot. Um, when the pandemic started, he was like, guys, it's okay. Don't expect to work to your full capacity. Like there's a pandemic going on. I get it. And we're all adjusting to working from home. Um, it's, it's fine and feel free to take days off for mental health reasons, um, which he says, even when there's not a pandemic, um, 
and he's definitely like very supportive of people taking care of themselves and doesn't care if you work like long or hard hours in the lab, like as long as you're making progress. Um, so definitely like pay attention to the personality of your advisor and not just what research they're doing. Um, and don't be afraid to ask questions when you're interviewing with them that will help you figure out their priorities. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. Well, during the pandemic, like how did that affect your actual research? Like, were you still able to like claim plants were a necessary item that I still have to go on campus and take care of? <laughs> well, we had um, one postdoc and um, our advisor who were going and maintaining some of the essential plants, but I was not doing like any experiments um, right at the beginning there when all the research was closed down for those first, I think it was what, two and a half or three months. Um, I was doing some like computational analyses for a collaborative project that I had been working on, um, which I'm actually going to be the second author on if it ever gets accepted by a journal. So, yeah. Super cool. Super cool. Well, it's been really great talking with you. Thank you for coming on and doing this. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. It's been a real pleasure. <laughs>